You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter number two, please. Tonight, book of Revelation chapter number two. Those are some good songs put together there. You know, honestly, that's what people are legitimately looking for is somebody to really love them. And not like the world does, not to use them or abuse them or take advantage of them or get anything out of them, but just a selfless kind of love, the kind of love that God showed you and I. Isn't that amazing? I'm glad that we can sing songs about how we love him, but the amazing thing is he loved us first. He he loved us before we even had him on our mind. Whenever we were doing everything we could, anti-God, against his will, transgressing every day, he still loved us. Isn't that amazing? It rains on the just and the unjust. When I was lost, he was still loving on me. I don't know how to explain that. I just know God's good. Every time I breathed in air and then exhaled it out, God was loving on me. Every day I lived, rose up in the morning, went to sleep at night, and didn't die and go to hell. God was loved. Now, if I were you, I'd calm down. You're getting too excited. You're making me nervous. But God's good to us tonight. I'm glad that he loves us. Now, we've been in the book of Revelation on this series, Christ and His Church in the Last Days. And we're into chapter number 2 now. And we're going to go through chapter number 2 and 3 and maybe end up in chapter 4 before we finish this series. That's what the Lord has for us. Tonight, though, what I'm going to do is we will go through these letters to these churches individually, and we'll go through these verses. But tonight I want to bring to your attention a phrase that is found throughout the letters. In fact, it's at the conclusion of every single letter that Christ writes to the churches. It's an interesting statement, an interesting phrase, and there's a very powerful application for us. And honestly, what it does, it takes away the excuse or the opportunity to to blame or to kind of skirt our opportunity, also our obligation to live for God even in a dark day. I'm glad we can live for God anywhere if we want to live for God. And you can live for God anytime if you want to live for God. Look with me here, Revelation chapter 2, and I'll show you the statement and we'll read it here in verse number 7. It says in verse number 7, Revelation chapter 2, he that hath and ear, let him hear. That's the phrase. What the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now that statement is found again in verse 11. It's a different letter, but the same conclusion. He that hath an ear, let him hear. It's found again in verse 17. A different letter, different church, same conclusion. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Verse 29, the same statement. Chapter 3, you don't have to look. You can if you don't trust me. Maybe you should look. Verse number 6, chapter 3, there it is. Verse number 13, there it is. Verse number 22, to end it, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Now, wait a minute. He is writing a letter to a collective body. But he is placing the responsibility of responding to the letter on the individual. Christ in the perfect scenario would want the entirety of the church he is addressing to get right. To do right, to live right, to repent, whatever the need is. But he's saying if the church, if the crowd doesn't choose to listen, you can still make up your mind to listen. For a little bit tonight I want to preach on this thought. Christ in his church in the last days, but here's the title. Personal responsibility in perilous times. 
Let's pray. God, I pray for your help, please. I pray that you'd give us liberty and power to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever played with a CB radio? I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but it used to be Breaker 1-9. You know how they used to do that? And it's a rubber duck. That's the truck at the head of the convoy. You know, and They'd ask the question, what's your 20? That means what's your location? They have all these weird statements like there's a bear there about the 40-mile marker. That's a policeman, you know, off to the side. And he's, I'm going to pull off into the chicken coop, and that's the way station. They have all these different sayings. But one of the things they would say is this. Uh, do you have your ears on? You ever heard that? Got your ears on. What they mean is, do you have your transponder, your radio? Is it on? Can you hear what I'm saying? Tonight, I believe it's imperative that you and I make it a point to have our ears on. One of the most wonderful doctrines for the New Testament Christian is this doctrine of individual soul liberty. It is a Bible doctrine, and it's also a Baptist distinctive. Now, every born-again person stands on a level plane with their peers. There is no hierarchy, there's no governing body, and there is no caste system, if you will, in Christianity. Every person who is saved is a prince with God. Every person who is saved is a priest with God. And every person who is saved is at liberty to worship God and serve God as they purpose in their own heart. Individual soul liberty is the right of every believer to choose God of their own free will and to follow God according to their conscience. In spite of the dictates regarding living for God that might be issued by a church or by the state, the individual Christian has the power to serve God by the dictates of his conscience. Now, I do believe if you join a church, you ought to join a church with every intention to follow the direction of that church. Say amen right there. You ought not join a church to try to change it or corrupt it, but you ought to choose to follow if you join that local body. But nonetheless, you and I are individuals in this thing called Christianity. So liberty of the individual means this. We are connected in a corporate sense as part of a local body, but we maintain our independence of thought and action as an individual child of God. What I do, I ultimately choose to do. What I think, I ultimately choose to think. How I act, I cannot blame it on you. How I act, it's because I chose to act in that way. I am not a drone. I'm not a puppet controlled by a string. Christianity is not forced upon me. It is the result of my choices. Think about it. I was not forced or coerced to become a Christian. I was not forced to become a member of this church. The Christian life I live is not by compulsion, but rather it is voluntary according to my free will, my choosing, and my liberty. Now, let me clarify something. The word liberty is not a pseudonym for compromise. It is not licensed to live free from God or a hall pass to go into the world whenever I want to go back into the world. But what liberty means is I am free to live for God to the best of my understanding and ability. Now, my personal opinion, I believe it's biblically sound to say this is, a good way to understand individual soul liberty is to say it like this, individual soul responsibility. Harry Truman was president back in the 19th, 1800s. I don't know when it was. Hey, a long time ago. Brother Shilton said, I thought that was last year. No, that was not last. Anyway, a long time ago. There was a saying, and <laughs> I heard you. There was a saying in Harry Truman's day, and it was, pass the buck. 
And it was just the kind of the attitude of that era, pass the buck. And what that means is skirt the responsibility and pass it off onto somebody else. So President Truman had a plaque that he presented there on his desk, and the plaque said this, the buck stops here. What he's saying is it is not somebody else's responsibility. It falls on me. It is my responsibility. Now, soul liberty is only alive within the boundaries of the Bible. And my obligation is to live as close to Scripture as I can. By that I mean this, no one is responsible for how devout I am. I am responsible for that. Nobody else is responsible for how doctrinal I am. I am responsible for that. No one else is responsible for how dedicated to God I am. I am responsible for that. If I'm to be micromanaged, it is to be micromanaged by the Holy Ghost and the Word of God, not by culture, not by peers, not by a crowd, not by anyone else, but my conscience ought to cultivate my Christianity. Now, God gave us a pastor. The pastor shepherds and he guides and he guards and he watches for our soul. But at the end of the day, he cannot make you live a Christian life. Romans 14, 5, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Culture may pressure us and circumstances may stress us and other Christians might give us an example, but my relationship with Christ is left up to my individual liberty. Individual soul liberty is better understood, I believe, as soul responsibility, or we could say individual soul accountability. Galatians 5.13 said, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So here's what I'm preaching, and I'll apply it in a minute. It is my personal responsibility to be spiritual. It is my personal responsibility to be scriptural. It is my personal responsibility to live sanctified. It is my personal responsibility to be a servant. It is my personal responsibility to have joy. It is my personal responsibility to not offend a brother. It is my personal responsibility to forgive when I am wrong. It is my personal responsibility to love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. My walk with God is up to me. My spiritual growth is up to me. My obedience is up to me. I have a choice in the matter. I am not a victim. I am a victor. I am not disadvantaged. I am highly favored. I am not unloved. There's been no greater love than the love shown to me by Christ on Calvary. But how I respond to that truth is left up to me. I have individual soul responsibility. My Christianity is not about my brother, not my sister, but it's about me, O Lord. Romans 14 and 11 and 12 said, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us, each of us individually, shall give an account of himself to God. If I don't pray, it is my responsibility. If I do not witness, it is my responsibility. If I disobey the Bible, it is my responsibility. If I am cold toward God, it is my responsibility. I am not accountable for you. You, in that primary sense, I can control me. I think about the illustration about this woman and her husband. They went to church and they came home and they were sitting at the dinner table. She said, well, I just want to talk a little bit about church. He said, all right, go ahead, shoot. You ought not say that to your wife, right? But anyway, uh, go ahead. She said, well, did you see sister so-and-so's dress? What did you think about it? He goes, I didn't even notice it. She said, 
And going back to eat and took another bite of food. And then she said, well, well, did you see the pastor's tie? That's the same tie we wore last week. Had, that had a spot on it. Stains all over it. She, he said, you know what? I don't think I even noticed it. She sat there and ate a little bit more and said, well, did you see so-and-so's kids acting like Christian school students, heathens in the pew? Can you believe how they were acting at church? I don't think I even noticed it. And she got mad at him and said, what in the world did you go to church for anyhow? You can say ouch or amen. I don't know which one. I have freedom tonight because Christ has made me free. And I am liberated. I have a conscience and a free will. So the buck stops at me. I can live for God if I want to. I can love God if I want to. I can be faithful to God if I want to. I can live for Christ if I choose to. My liberty shapes my convictions, my service, my doctrinal statement, every aspect of my Christianity. The look, the sound, and the actions is left up to me. Joseph had personal responsibility how he'd respond to the mistreatment of his brethren. It was up to Noah how he'd respond to the difficulty of building the ark. It was up to Moses. How's he going to respond when God's people were murmuring against him. It was up to Samson how he'd respond in the midst of temptation. It was up to Daniel to decide how Daniel would live even in that corrupt place called Babylon and every one of those men had ears to hear and hearts that could make the decision, do I want to follow God and please God or do I want to go a different direction? So where do you draw your line and what flag you fly and what colors you wear is left up to you. It's important in these last days by the way that we understand this Bible doctrine. Because if you think about it, we're living in Psalm 2, where the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. And the leadership of our world has set itself against the Lord. Even in our churches, it's full of itching ears and wicked hearts, and there's a form of godliness and the fruits of godlessness everywhere. In our government, the governing bodies are passing laws to secure the safety of their rebellion and legalize their lusts. In our culture, they're diving deeper in the depths of insanity, I believe, to numb the edge of their depravity. Even in churches, churches are corrupting within and prostituting the faith without so they can meet the desire of the world. And there's no doubt about it, we are living living in Babylon, wrapped up in the system of Babylon, and seeing the reality of a nation that has tried to turn their back on God. What I'm saying is it is not an easy day to serve God. It is not a popular day to serve God. It is not the trend to serve God. We are living in a gender-confused, flesh-consumed, Christ-condemning day. But can I say this? You can live for God in spite of it. It doesn't have to be easy. It doesn't have to be popular. It doesn't have to be the trend, we can determine to have ears to hear and do our best to live for God. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. If I take a stand, I can choose to stand. If I assimilate, I can choose to assimilate. If I fail, I choose to fail. If I have faith in God, I can choose to have faith in God. I have a Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. I have as much promise and power and potential as any Christian ever has. I have been endued and equipped and enabled to live for God and he's left it up to me. He said, here's my word. Here's the message. If you want to heed it, hear it and take it to heart, you can. Or you can be like everybody else and fall by the wayside. And what I'm saying is this. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how difficult it is. If you want to live for God, you can live for God anyhow. You can praise him in a furnace. You can sing in a prison. You can worship at the Red Sea. You can call down fire on Mount Carmel. You can stand in a dark day if you want to. 
Sorry I preached a minute on Wednesday night. All right, Revelation chapter 2. Had to quit. I'm about out of breath. The older I get, the worse it gets. And the smoking. Revelation 2. Begins a two-chapter section where Christ is speaking directly to these churches in Asia Minor. The word I is found 53 times in these two chapters. And it's in reference to Jesus speaking to his churches. I'm glad he wants to speak to us. As John is seeing what he saw and hearing what he heard, he writes it down. Within the larger epistle of Revelation, there are these seven small letters to these individualized churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, as you read these letters, it exposes the spiritual condition and the spiritual corruption of churches in the first century. And let me stop and say this. If churches in the first century were already corrupting, how difficult is it to keep a place right? And how easy it is to let things slip. You read these letters, there is condemnation, commendation, chastisement, correction, and then consolation or a promise if they'll get right. There's something interesting. In chapter 1, there's a glorified Savior. In chapter 4, there's glorified saints. In chapter 2 and 3, there's a bunch of sin and failure. But aren't you glad the glorified Savior still ends up with glorified saints in spite of our sin and failure? You study out these churches, they're full of people just like we have, just like every church has. There are some folks in love with the Lord and some folks who've left their first love. There are some folks who are very fervent and some folks apathetic. There are some folks who are holding fast to truth and others giving way to apostasy and error. There's holy people and carnal people, martyrs and self-aggrandizers, humble people, folks eating up with pride. And you can see it here in these churches. It's an overview for every church in every day. As you look at these letters collectively, this phrase begins to pop out. You to study it later. Jesus used the phrase many times in the Gospels as well. These letters are addressed to the church as a whole or as a body. But there's a phrase within the letter that puts the responsibility to responding to the letter on the individual in the church. In verse number 7, it's the first mention in the letter. It said, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Now, the encompassing message was, we could just say, North Valley Baptist Church, here's what I wish for your church. But then when he concludes it, he said, but if North Valley Baptist Church as a body does not want to obey and adhere to the message, then the members who make up the spots in the pew, every man, every woman, every young person, you can decide and determine to listen and obey if you want to. Regardless of how the larger corporation responds, every member has a choice to react to what the Lord has to say. The invitation is this. If you've got an ear to hear, then hear it. If you've got a willingness, then obey. If you want to listen, then listen and respond. Now Christ wanted the entire church to get right and have revival, but he said if nobody else wants it, you can have it if you want to. If everybody else gets stiff-necked and hard-hearted, you can still be an overcomer if you have an ear to hear. So here's the question. The question is not, does anybody else want to serve God? The question is, do you want to serve God? The question is not, is the crowd going to do right? The question is this, am I going to do right? Amen. Amen. A church is a body of believers, but that body is made up of individuals, and each of us can choose. We have liberty. How are we going to respond to the Lord? Ears to hear are devoted ears, discerning ears, and ears that desire to hear from heaven. So the message preached to everyone was left up to the individual do you want to hear what God has to say? Teddy Roosevelt, rough rider, he said, if you could kick in the seat of the pants the person that gives you the most trouble, you wouldn't sit down for a week. 
I'll say it again. I said it earlier. You can live for God anywhere you want to live for God if you want to live for God bad enough. If you study believers from Noah, Abraham up till today, it has never been easy or popular or comfortable to live for the Lord. God's people have always lived in perilous times. When you got saved, you got called to suffering and to bearing a cross. But every Christian who has ever been worthy of any kind of mention has been a Christian that was willing to decide to follow the Lord no matter the cost. David decided. I like that. Elijah decided. Nehemiah made his decision. They didn't let somebody else make the decision for them. They said, I'm going to make the decision for myself. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to poll. I'm not going to analyze what others are doing. I'm going to decide as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but laws for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now let me apply it. In these last days and in these wicked hours that we live in, God, give us ears to hear. We need some spirit-filled Christians that can hear from heaven and decide in their heart. I don't care what the crowd does. I don't care what the majority does. If they don't want it, that's it's okay, I want it. If they're not interested, I'm interested. If they all tune him out, I think I'll just tune in. It's easy to drift. It is easy to coast. It's easy to cast blame somewhere else. But I say to stand for Jesus. I like the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. It was written by some of Jonathan's relatives, no doubt, in India. It's a result of the Wales revival. The Wales revival that took place sent missionaries forth in the missionary 150 years ago or so went into India started preaching to the headhunters in that area as he preached one of the families in the tribe got saved and took a stand for the Lord the man his wife and two sons the villagers began to ask them about Christ and one of the leaders of the tribe brought him forth and the chief said this he said I want you to renounce your faith publicly renounce your faith and the man said this, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The chief got outraged, ordered his children to be killed, and both boys were shot, bow and arrow, and died. The man responded and said this, though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The chief then turns attention to the man's wife and killed his wife. And the man responded and said, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Then they killed him. A man named William Reynolds got the song and put the melody to it that we sing now. I wonder if you'd be willing, because listen, you can declare, I decide in these dark days, these last hours to follow Jesus. Bob Jones Sr. said, do right till the stars fall. And then do right. You can serve God before the flood, in the furnace, and in the face of opposition. I'll close. Ephesus was a cooling church. He said, if everybody else gets cold, you don't have to. Pergamus was a compromising church. He said, if everybody else compromises, if you don't want, you don't have to. Thyatira was a church that wanted to coexist with the world. He said, if everybody else wants to mesh, you don't have to. Sardis was a church that said they were alive, but they were dead. They were a corpse of a church. He said, if everybody else is dead, you don't have to be dead. Laodicea was a conceited church. Calloused. He said, if everybody else is going to live that way, hey, listen, you can open the door. You don't have to be that way. 
If you have an ear to hear, thank God you can still take your stand in these last days. Amen. There's too much of this, well, I would live for God and everything, but so-and-so really did this or that or the other. Well, that's a cop-out. Amen. Well, I'd live for God, but the climate. I'd live for God, but the election. I'd live for God, but whatever it is, my, my bank account, that's a cop-out. If you have ears to hear, you can take your stand. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.